Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Good afternoon, everyone. We are in the studio today on Freedom of Species, which is a program that brings animal advocacy to the airwaves. It's a radio program dedicated to raising awareness of issues concerning animals. So this includes advocacy, activism, protection, conservation, and importantly, appreciation. The show is broadcast from the 3CR studios in Melbourne on 8.55am. And the previous show you were listening to was Out of the Pan, thanks to Sally. Uh, I'm joined here in the studio with Adam and Emma Hakansen, who is a guest today, um, who's incredibly enthusiastic about animal ethics um, and the, I guess, the plight of animals in this, in this country and beyond. And we will be discussing... Um, the ethical retail market, which I feel is a subset of animal consumption that is often ignored when we talk about, you know, consuming um, animals as food as opposed to just what we wear. And there was a lot of discourse around um, fur and leather once upon a time, and there still is, but it's a lot more, a lot more complicated than that. So I guess we'll just be, I'll just introduce you, Emma, and I will introduce the issue at bay. So when we discuss veganism, a lot of the discourse centers around food consumption. However, the fashion industry is actually trailing behind supermarkets at the moment, where one in five of all new products launched last year were vegan, according to The Guardian, which really isn't that many, uh, given our changing climate and our want for more sustainable and more ethically sourced things. Um, The ethical retail market, which spans everything from food and drink to cosmetics, was worth more than $40 billion pounds which is that's over 77 billion Australian dollars which is wild and that was at the end of 2018 and that compares to about 21 billion Australian dollars according to an annual study um, by the top 20 years ago so we've clearly got an appetite for um, ethically sourced goods however growing concern about the climate crisis and the role played by fast fashion means attitude to consumption are changing fast particularly among young people And recently, actually a couple of days ago, the British Retail Consortium, the BRC, laid down a series of voluntary guidelines to ensure that so-called vegan products contain no animal-derived materials, which is why I thought I'd bring Emma in. Thank you so much for joining us, Emma. Thank you for having me. So Emma and I have actually worked together before, um, which was such a fun time. So Emma... um, works to create a kind of world for animals and her passion for ethical fashion, ethical being vegan, fair and sustainable, has seen her found Willow Creative Co, a content production and ethics consultation agency for fashion labels. And that is actually how Emma and I worked together. She um, organised this incredible shoot. Um, it was all – I've never seen the effort to vegify <laughs> a space so um, done so well. We all got these sort of emails saying there will be no animal products on set, there will be none. And I was just – I got goosebumps thinking about how wonderful that was. So you're doing a really, really wonderful job creating a space, um, uh, you know, that's 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 quite, 
I guess um, strict isn't the right word, but it's you know it's conscious, and you're making sure everyone around you is I aware. Think there's a moral baseline in the spaces that I create. At least I try to do that. Absolutely. Um, you're also a model, a writer, and you have created various campaigns um, for large animal liberation companies like Animal Liberation Victoria, Wool Truth, and Goat Truth. So you're busy. <laughs> A little bit, yeah. <laughs> um, and one thing I think is really nice, just because veganism is a very personal journey for a lot of people, I like asking, when did you first become vegan and what was that process like? Well, first I was pescatarian and then I did the kind of slow dribble into veganism, I guess, partially. At first I genuinely didn't know why you would be vegan as compared to vegetarian, but I was also lazy and didn't bother to find out. Uh, I first considered animals, though, because I was on exchange in Sweden and I was staying with my family there. My dad's Swedish and they were feeding me moose and deer, which is a totally normal thing to eat in Sweden. And I thought that that was a bit weird and I felt a bit uncomfortable eating it. And it took me not that long to realise that if that was an issue for me, it should probably be an issue to eat any animal. Mm. So that was sort of your first experience with a bit of like cognitive dissonance. Yeah. Just like, oh, no, this feels strange. Yeah. But what's different about a moose to a cow? And then like a year after not eating land animals, I made a vegan friend and she was like, you know you're not doing the whole thing, right? <laughs> <laughs> and eventually I was like, yep, good call. Oh, gosh. I know there's um, the sort of things we tell ourselves in the early stages. Yeah. Um, And when did you first get involved in the fashion industry? So how did those two marry up for you? Uh, I guess I've been working as a model for quite a while. Like I started in high school Mm. and when the vegan thing came into my life, that job became increasingly difficult to continue to justify because I'd be going, I'd be getting animal tested makeup put on my face, I'd be wearing leather, I'd be wearing... Like I just became increasingly uncomfortable with it Mm. and I knew I couldn't speak about the things I cared about and continue to get paid to endorse something in Mm. total contrast to it. So I basically decided that I was sure there were enough people interested in animal rights to continue to work in fashion because I really like fashion. And that was actually harder than I thought. And so I decided I'd create something myself. And so I made Willow Creative Co. And we only work with vegan creatives or ethically minded creatives for brands that are aligned with our values. Wow. wow. That's fantastic. And it's interesting. One thing I've noticed working with you on, on that set is it's, it's very um, woman focused as well. I find there are a lot of women in the yeah, industry. I that... don't even know if it was intentional. No. It just <laughs> is. Yeah, it just is. And because of that, you know, when you're modeling and whatnot, there is obviously the, the gender dimension of that too, which I, I like to a tackle in my work too, the the correlations between gendered violence and the way we treat animals Mm. or anything that we we feel entitled to people's bodies. So I I found that very, very obvious having done, um, you know, empowering feminist campaigns before, but I hadn't felt the way I felt when I was on set with with you all, which was really nice. I think like I would be devastated if someone told me they felt uncomfortable. Totally. So, yay. Um, (laughs) You know, the, the discourse surrounding fast fashion has changed a lot over over the last few years. I mean, people are actually starting to um, understand the complexities and the, the mass um, effects of engaging in fast fashion or consuming fast fashion. So um, as someone that is so involved in the, in the fashion industry and has such an ethically um, 
conscious drive. What are people aware that the industry has such a large carbon footprint? Do you sorry, think? Sorry, do you do you just mind um, explaining what fast fashion is? Oh yeah, the, of course. Yeah, yeah. I, I was actually when I was making these notes, I was like, oh gosh, I, sh- I really should put some definitions in our desk because I'm so in- entrenched in yeah. this space. So fast fashion um, is a form of, uh, I guess. Um, there aren't fashion seasons anymore. It's just yes. a new product pretty much every week. Mm. Yeah. And we only have so much planet to make all of that product from. And yep. so it's inherently unsustainable. Basically. So they're, they're looking for trends on online social media and they're seeing what's what's sort of hitting. Yeah, and they're so going, like a celebrity make, might that. wear something on yep. a red carpet and the next week a knockoff dress will be made of it. And yep. it will be $12 made by some poor woman that we just pretend doesn't exist. Yeah. And because of all of the effects, I guess the demand of fast fashion and how it's distributed through these huge platforms um, like big shopping malls means that there are, you know, that there's this sort of flow on effect of, of where does the, where do the clothes go once the trends are over? They're often just burnt, um, mm. which is terrifying. So the carbon footprint is, is terrible. And also in terms of the ethics of the workplace, um, a lot of the people that are hired to to make these clothes, as as Emma pointed out, are um, poor women from low socioeconomic spaces, often yeah. women of colour, um, primarily women of colour, which results in um, you know poor workspace environments. There's actually a wonderful documentary called The True Cost, which yeah. is on Netflix. Yeah. I was going to plug that later. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I was thinking about that one as well. I just forgot the name. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's it. I, I love the ethos behind that because I guess it challenges the what is the actual cost mm. of these. Um, these sort of, you know, consumptions. Yeah. So I guess um, for given that we've now sort of established what fast fashion is, do you think people as consumers of, of clothes are aware of the, the industry at large and the large carbon footprint that it has? I think, uh, I mean, people are always more aware than their actions show. I guess, mm. like, it's easy to know something. It's harder to actually address it and change how you act. And I think it's hard sometimes to remember that all of our individual actions do add up. I was looking at the War on Waste ABC. Mm. They have the whole statistical thing put together. And it's something like 6,000 kilos of fashion textiles are put into landfill every 10 minutes in Australia. Wow. So if you're one person chucking out clothes, you don't, you know, you don't think that you're a part of this huge problem. Absolutely. We are. Um I do think people are becoming more aware of that, though, and I think the thing that bothers me more is that green and ethics washing is seeping more into what is supposed to be a mm. conscious slow fashion space mm. and, you know, using words like sustainability and something is ethical, something is fair mm. to just, you know, put a blanket over an entire thing that is much more complicated. Absolutely. Um, for me, being animal person, I think it bothers me the most seeing slow fashion conscious brands that are calling themselves ethical making products out of dead animals. Yeah. Mm. Um, not only because obviously they are made out of dead animals or they're made out of wool, which is a slaughter industry. Most people don't realise that, but it is the same as leather, just in a different kind of supply chain I guess Um, outside of that sustainability wise the global fashion agenda and the Boston Consulting Group found leather to be the single most environmentally impactful material to produce from cradle to gate Mm -hmm. wool was number four Um, 
you know, leather is almost always chromium tanned. Again, mm. the people that are working in that part of the industry in lower socioeconomic countries are suffering hugely for it. Mm. The amount of carbon emissions that come from animal agriculture is huge. 92% of land clearing in Australia, according to the CSIRO, is just for animal agriculture. Wow. So mining all of our cities, everything, all crops, is in just the other 8%. Jeez. It's just a little funny for that to be considered yeah. a part of conscious, slow, sustainable fashion. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, we're sitting at this really interesting crossroads at the moment. And I noticed this a lot. And I'm sure we all, the three of us did. Um, when when we started talking more about the effects of um, animal, the agricultural um, industry, mm-hmm. There was su- there was suddenly this this sort of you know response by people that didn't want to actually change their their way of eating, but they sort of pasted organic to or free range to mm. to beef or to eggs and whatnot. Um, and this price tag and brownie points that comes with the idea of something organic, I feel like mm. I see that happening a lot with wool yeah. um, mm. and other sort organic of- means literally nothing yeah. for animal rights. Yeah. It's totally. about chemicals and a lack of absolutely. And I just find that really frustrating and you can kind of see, I guess, because the fashion industry is so deeply, um, you know, rooted in aesthetics and, and marketing, you can kind of see that, that drive to make something seem more ethical than what mm. it really is. I think it's like at a certain point an industry becomes aware that they have to confront something because enough of the public is talking about it. Mm-hmm. So like for wool, People don't like mulesing, which Mm -hmm. is the cutting of the skin around the buttocks off. Mm -hmm. No pain relief is required at the moment in Australia and in most of the world. Um, They know that people don't like that. They know that people don't like shearing, being violent. And so places that are selling non-mulesed wool are now saying, oh, we're cruelty-free, it's so lovely, la, 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 look at us. Oh, wow. And I'll just conveniently not mention that the sheep are all cast for age and slaughtered halfway through their lifespan. Most of them go into live export. Let's just not mention mm. that. Totally. They, like, wipe their hands. There's yeah. a really interesting argument that um, some people put forward that these pe- that these companies aren't even necessarily doing it for the um, animal welfare mm. perspective. They're doing it because having that animal welfare label gives them higher profit. Absolutely. So like you're saying, um, no mulesing means that they can charge an extra three dollars on that piece of uh, on that product. Yeah. So it's a it's a benefit, a win win for them. They get more money and they are seen or perceived to be less cruel. Absolutely. Yeah. I think generally any company that talks about caring about animals while having a product made from an animal that is dead is generally something to be a bit sus about. Totally. And that I think that's a really good lead up to um, I want to ask you after the song about how you hold businesses accountable because I have seen you do a lot of wonderful work online. Um, but first we are going to play Oblivion by Rainbow Chan who is a Sydney solo artist and producer. Enjoy. Thank you. 
Imagine if students all across Australia started to call for their schools to declare a climate emergency. That's what some of the biggest names in the youth climate movement are now striving to achieve. Join the National Climate Emergency Summit for a student workshop facilitated by some of Australia's leading young strategists as they help students create a roadmap for getting schools to declare a climate emergency and advance serious action on climate. Friday the 14th of February at 2pm. Go to climateemergencysummit.org for more information. A 3CR supporter. Welcome back to Freedom of Species. We are chatting today with Emma Harkinson about her relationship to the fashion industry and the British Retail Consortium recently laying down a series of guidelines to ensure that actual so-called vegan products contain no animal-derived materials. So we're going to be discussing the grey areas that exist in the fashion industry and how what we wear counts for a lot more than what we think. Um, Emma, I want to talk, I mean, we were talking a little bit before and also off air, but the process of vegifying one's wardrobe or one's clothes is much more complex than just 
deciding to get rid of your classic animal-derived products such as leather and suede and wool. And when I did a bit of research on this subject, I mean, we found that the ingredients of glues, dyes and waxes aren't often examined but need to be by businesses, but they, you know, they can still paste the vegan um, sticker on without any repercussions. How do you find holding businesses accountable? What does that look like for you? On an individual level? Um, well, I've seen you actually address <laughs> actual large businesses before. Yes. So I, I think we'll start with that because I do find that process. I mean, also in, in the context of call out culture and even, even the Me Too movement and, and things like that, where our relationship to the internet and public spaces are changing. You know, how do you, how important do you think is it that we hold businesses accountable and how do you go about that process? I think I go about it quite blatantly. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I think that, A, businesses aren't going to know what matters to people unless they're told. Wow, yeah. So start there. But also because there is so much greenwashing and ethics washing, it has to be called up on sometimes. And sometimes, Mm. actually a lot of the time, brands don't even know what they're talking about about their own supply chains. I've had – there was this one brand and they originally had all organic cotton and then they started working with merino wool and I sent them a message just being like, oh, no, what (laughs) happened here? Um, And they had this whole spiel about the Walmart company and Australian wool innovation and, oh, it's so wonderful. (laughs) And I was like, sure, are you aware that merino sheep will be slaughtered? And they were like, no, that's not true at all. Um, (laughs) And they were like, AWI and Walmart Company, they don't do that. And I just sent them a PDF made by those two, by the Walmart Company, talking about, oh, merino wool. Sheep are considered for wool and meat, dual-purpose sheep, blah, blah, wow. blah. Dual-purpose sheep, that's awful. Yeah. Ugh. And they were like, oh, I didn't know that. And then they were like, but anyway, it's more sustainable. And then I sent them something from Global Fashion Agenda and they were like, oh, I didn't know that either. And I was like, yeah, that's Okay. But maybe, look. No, you do. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, that must be tiring, though, I guess, for you having to be this kind of harnesser of resources to be like, no, 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 no. I think I, in maybe a bit of a dark way, enjoy it now because when (laughs) someone says something and I'm like, that is not correct and I have a PDF report Mm. that I can show you. Absolutely. Yeah, I sort of just like having knowing that it's like, no, here is the fact. Totally. I mean, you have also posted a few um, conversations you've had with individuals about their relationship to animal products, um, which, you know, I, I really do love when I follow outspoken vegans, seeing the the proof of that discourse. Mm. And there's often a bit of back and forth and there's a little bit of them going, oh, no. <laughs> um but uh, that brings me to this sort of larger question. I mean, how do you feel about individual consumption and our responsibility as individuals versus, you know, the large-scale corporation initiatives um, to become more vegan? I think ultimately, whether it's irritating or not, everything does fall on our shoulders. The same way I'm not sitting at home waiting for Scott Morrison to make Australia a better place because mm. I don't think it will happen. I also am the one that's going to have to make the world more vegan Mm. not by myself but with everyone else and there is this sort of idea that oh once the masses will change I'll just join in but like we are the masses totally so yeah and it's funny you say that it's something I find increasingly frustrating when you know I have a conversation with my parents 
um, who will say things like, oh, you know, one day everyone will be vegan. It's like... And it's tomorrow. Yeah, Let's it's like it. why do we have to wait? And, and also, how many lives will we lose in the yes. process of waiting for that? Patience yeah. is not forgiving. Yeah, um, I find that really jarring. Yeah, and I think like we live in a capitalist world, which mm. is a different conversation. But generally, a lot of our voting power sits in our bank accounts, and so. Absolutely. If we start refusing fast fashion, if we start refusing clothes made from animals, people and we opt for more genuinely ethical products instead, or we just stop buying so much stuff because we don't need it all, mm. um, which also in turn means we can spend more money on ethically produced clothing because we're buying less. We yeah. buy so many more clothes than we need. Um, if we do that, the people who don't actually care about animals but who do want to make a profit will go, <laughs> oh, well, we probably have to fix something. Mm. I think that ultimately, maybe it's a bit cynical, but I think that is how it's going to be. That's a really good point. So so how does a, um, a consumer, an individual, actually figure out if something is mm. okay to purchase? Mm. So for, for myself, I haven't bought um, clothing in years, almost probably a decade mm-hmm. because I've, I've bought, I've bought some shoes from mm. like a vegan shop, mm-hmm. yeah. um, but Same. shirts and stuff, <laughs> t-shirts I get, um, either secondhand from the op shop and, and jeans and stuff, or I get them from people, mm. like they just give them to me. Um, but I just, I stopped buying fashion or I never bought fashion, <laughs> not very fashionable, <laughs> but I stopped buying clothes because it was just a, a, a quagmire of knowing, yeah. like, not only, not only, I, I, for, for me, vegan also includes um, fair trade, fair work, fair wage. Yeah. How do you, how do you figure it out? Yeah. Like, and, yeah. and, and when people think, like, confusions around cruelty-free, cruelty-free is not vegan. Oh, do not get oh, me God. started on cruelty-free. <laughs> so, how, how do I, if I, I want to go out and buy a t-shirt. How? How do I know? I, there's, I know there's, like, this big report that one of the big, um, the, NGOs. Yeah. Uh, is, it, is it the Baptist? Yeah. Um, that, yeah Baptist yeah. World Aid. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. I think like those things are really useful. There are apps like Good On You that are really useful and they have mm. these ratings. But a, for starters, for animals, it's never mm. good enough because it's about animal welfare, yeah. which means, oh, let's not hurt the sheep, but we'll kill them. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's not ideal. Mm. I think ultimately it's about educating yourself and like you said from an intersectional perspective where it's like I'm not comfortable to buy a bag that yes is vegan but some poor person made and is living in poverty because Mm. they're making it for nothing um really I think it's asking questions yeah generally if a brand is proud of their supply chain and if they've worked hard to make it an ethical one they will be because it's a lot harder than Mm. to just slap together totally something rubbish They'll tell you. Okay, so, so looking for the supply chain, maybe going mm, to a website and seeing yeah. what their supply chain is. And asking, learning how to ask the right questions. Yeah. Like instead of just saying, is this product ethical, in which a lot of brands would just reply, yes, smiley face. Yeah. Um, ask questions like, do you have a system in place to make sure that everyone is being paid a fair wage? Absolutely. Can you tell me what the minimum wage for your garment workers are? How do you know that this product is is vegan? Is there any certification involved? Absolutely. Yeah. And I think the interesting um, thing about the sort of space that you straddle, which I really find very admirable, is you acknowledge that um, 
a lot of this information isn't necessarily accessible. Mm. And in your place of privilege, given your involvement in the industry and given um, your enthusiasm and your passion, is that you make it accessible. Mm. Um, you use your platform to educate individuals as well as actual um, businesses. And I think rather than... Um, you know, baby vegans having to go, oh, my gosh, where do I start with this? Mm. All it takes is one look at your sort of Instagram page or, or the sort of newsletters that you, you put out to – it's all there. It's really, really is. Yeah, I think – thank you. Um, <laughs> I think that's something that really bothers me, not just in the vegan movement but really overall when mm. people who are privileged to have had a good education, to have time to do their Googles and learn things about – systematic oppression it really bothers me when someone comments asking or not understanding or saying something a little bit not ideal and they're responded to with like you should know better like if you have the time to learn it you should also have the time to spread the knowledge like it's so important especially when in terms of animal rights we're not the ones suffering in terms of racism I'm white I'm not the one suffering Mm. like we have a duty to be sharing that information, not gatekeeping it, being like, oh, as if you don't know this, how embarrassing. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. That feeds into class and, and, and everything. Yeah, totally. Know? And I, I do, yeah, I think it is very noticeable when there are initiatives that are, you know, that make this information not only accessible but encourage people to feel permission to be able to access this yeah. stuff too. Yeah. So- so are there, are there, you mentioned vegan labels or, mm. or vegan certification. Mm. In the fashion industry, um, does vegan certification cover all of the things you're talking about, like the dyes, the glues, the other things that maybe get missed and mm. forgotten? I think, and think being an important word, <laughs> that the PETA certification does include all of that, whereas just because something says 100% vegan, mm. that doesn't necessarily mean anything. Um, it will mean that the material isn't because it's pretty hard to get away with selling a leather shoe and calling yeah. it vegan. Yeah. Um, but I think it's also really important. I would hate for people to go, oh, no, glue's not vegan, which a, a lot of it is synthetic now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's yep. been that way for quite yep. a long time. Absolutely. Um, I'd hate for them to use that as an excuse to not bother at all and be like, mm. oh, well, well, I'll just buy the leather shoes because, you know, it's all too hard. Yep. It's definitely better to still not be wearing dead animal skin on your shoes, on your feet. Um, Absolutely. But I think also to an extent, if we're no longer supporting the money-making industries like meat, like dairy, which are intertwined with the leather industry, mm. which is a co-product, according to Meat and Livestock Australia, not mm. a byproduct. They make money from it. Abattoirs lose millions of dollars when they don't sell. Absolutely. Yep. If all of those things stop being supported, things like glue that are made from animal carcasses and fat, they will inevitably also have to change and be something else because there won't be access to carcasses. Mm. Yep. And does that? do you know whether any of those um, vegan certifications do take a, a more total liberation approach where we're talking about um, human oppression as well as animal use? Is there any any no. certification that talks like that? No. no. Like businesses could get multiple certifications, but I don't yeah. think that there's an all-encompassing one. I did mm. consider making a willow one. I haven't got <laughs> to it yet. I've got a long list of things. But, yeah, yeah I think that that is really important because it's also 
other than it being just obviously important in it, I care about people and the planet and animals way, it's a huge way that people try to undercut Absolutely. the animal rights movement, which is fair to an extent, like, no, you should still not kill animals, but it isn't right to say, how dare you kill animals, but also I don't care about the woman in Bangladesh that is making this product. It is quite... I find that really, really ironic. You know, I see a few people I know that are... um, would see themselves as activists and uh, the public would too, um, that will sort of critique capitalism and critique these sort of, you know, um, the whiteness of climate rallies and and the the kind of intricacies of, of activist spaces and then post a photo eating a cheeseburger. Mm. And I'm just, there's that sort of dissonance there and I find that really quite irking because it's... It's if we always have this... the one that's left out. Yeah. Like so many yeah. rallies, there's something at the beginning which is great about like we're being inclusive of the queer community, we're being Absolutely. inclusive of blah, 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 all of the things. And then there's never anything about animals and then there's a barbecue to raise money for wildlife <laughs> burned in the bushfires. Like it's just Ooh, yeah, that was, a bit madness. Those were, were quite ridiculous. Um, after the break, we will be discussing um, sustainability and veganism and those broad terms with more um, specificity, I guess. Yes. Um, but I thought I chose I chose this song because I thought it was quite apt and it comes with a language warning, oh. um, like quite a few language warnings. <laughs> um, but, yeah, stay tuned and after the song we will be back.
Where there's six old fucking nations and who knows where they live Where you don't bear in a patch there where the one slap snakes live Where that bread don't even cost no bread on my master And that bed ain't even mad up with the swing side kicked up Where there's Indians in the graveyard and we built on top there But I wanna comprehend it, but it's hard to get Folk Show is moving to a new time slot. So tune in every Tuesday at 3pm, starting on Feb 18th. You're listening to Freedom of Species on 3CR 855 AM and we're chatting today with Emma Harkinson, who is an animal rights advocate, activist. How would you refer to yourself? Both are fine. <laughs> Both are good. Um, who works to create a kinder world for animals and her passion um, is in primarily in ethical fashion. Fashion. What am I saying? Ethical being vegan, fair and sustainable, which is uh, the last part of this section. I wanted to speak about the terms mm. sustainability 
and veganism mm-hmm. and how the two are often seen to coexist when mm, don't. Yeah. Um, you know, there's quite a bit of tension between definitions of sustainability and veganism and things can be vegan that aren't necessarily sustainable. For example, you know, heavily packaged goods and mm. um, um, certain types of alternative milks have a huge um, foot, carbon footprint. Uh, so how do you how do you ensure that you're up to date with what sustainably sustainability looks like through a vegan lens? And I guess what's your definition of sustainability? Hmm. Before I critique veganism, mm-hmm. <laughs> I will bring up something. I think often a lot of these facts about specifically animal-free products and materials being unsustainable, they are removed from their context purposefully by animal industries because they're threatened by them. So, Mm -hmm. like, almond milk is water-intensive, more water-intensive than oat and soy milk, but it is nothing in comparison to dairy milk, and that's just conveniently not a part of it. It's the same with the leather industry bangs on about synthetic PU leather being bad when, no, it is definitely not the solution. It's made from petroleum. Mm. But it has a far reduced impact when you look at greenhouse gas emissions, water scarcity, eutrophication. It's objectively worse for the environment to produce than leather. Leather isn't biodegradable. The whole point of tanning a cow skin is so that it becomes unnatural and inorganic so Mm. it doesn't rot on your feet. So, yes, I think the conversation about veganism and sustainability is really important. But... People need to be listening to voices that aren't hijacking that conversation yes. for their yeah. own gain so that they can keep animal industries alive. It's very political, you know, it's this deliberate distraction. It's yes. almost like these, these brands do very much what politics, uh, politicians yeah. do and where they just don't answer the question or they throw a bone that um, and they, they expect the vegans to scurry toward that, like the discourse surrounding almond milk. And a lot of people have this relationship to that and, you know, well, I'm just not going to bother doing anything mm-hmm. now, which is yeah. so, uh, you know, not not what should be happening. Yeah. Um, but I think, yes, now that I have done that, <laughs> uh, <laughs> veganism is in some ways inherently more sustainable, but there's a huge difference between more sustainable and actually sustainable. Yeah. Um, like with polyurethane synthetic leather it is more sustainable to produce than cow leather but that doesn't make it sustainable either and we should be looking at cork or recycled polyurethane or pinyatex or apple all of these other things Mm. that are better like there doesn't have to be a glass ceiling of sustainability we can just keep getting better and better and i think it's also there's there's something interesting like sustainability is about sustaining the world as we have it now yeah but we've messed it up so much that we actually need to be regenerating it Mm. sustaining it isn't enough anymore yeah um i think i have this funny i'm still not sure how i feel about it sometimes i like we all consume too much on a planet with finite resources but sometimes i will choose buying or even creating a new vegan product over buying secondhand because I think that the existence of that is going to direct the economy in a better direction than it is going. Like, since we have it this way, let's make it better. Absolutely. And if we support 
a product like Pinyatex. So that material, it's made from the leaves of pineapples that are otherwise discarded. So it's making what was a discarded byproduct an additional income for farmers. Um, when that material first came out, it was so expensive. Yeah. And brands who were using it were using it just because they believed in it. It was not a cost-effective yeah. thing for them. But because they've done that and because people have bought that product, it's now much more financially viable for everyone involved in it so i think that's really important i just think about the i've been vegan for eight years now and i mean gosh the amount of products that are that aren't necessarily just available now but are accessible now yeah is is quite overwhelming and i never would have dreamed that once upon a time mock meat what yeah so i think if we have the privilege to buy those yeah it is going to then trickle down and make it more accessible absolutely i mean there is a conversation there as well to be had and i would love to know your thoughts i think i I know your thoughts. Mm. I think I know everyone here's thoughts, but I, I, I do think for our listeners it is worth um, addressing f- recycled leather and the whole like freedom idea mm. where, yeah, let's talk about, let's talk okay. about that. <laughs> so I, would you wear a recycled dog skin jacket? Would you, when your dog dies, want to make him into a jacket? Absolutely, Probably yeah. not. Well, I mean, absolutely not. So, <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> Sounds good. Everyone's going, oh, no. Um, yeah, like, I think whether or not that is explicitly supporting the industry, are you comfortable with wearing a dead body on your body? Yeah. And it plays into the larger um, question, too. Do you view... An animal's, animal's a body. Commodity. Yes, yeah. absolutely. You know that that's something um, someone said to me recently, um, and I sort of had to say back, I don't view animals as food, so mm. I cannot answer that question because mm. it's they, they they don't fall within those realms. And, right. yeah. I don't look at your skin and go, "Gosh, what a Yummy. lovely suede jacket it's <laughs> <laughs> made." Absolutely, absolutely, and that's I guess that's you know how far you know someone is down the rabbit hole of, of veganism if yeah. they're still pretty deep feeling that way. Um, also, you know, H and M are launching a vegan leather collection made from wine. Um, and H&M's ultimate goal I was reading yesterday is for 100% of its materials to be... Made, made from wine, sorry. Made from wine. It's like Tell the... I think it's something about the grape skins that yeah. are not involved, wow. like they're not used in the production of wine anyway. And so this is a really fantastic point about the, the pineapple... Mm. Off, Pinutex. Yeah, text. It's like supporting that stuff. There's a whole lot of R&D research and development that's gone on so in the background much. to transform plant byproducts into something we can wear that's sustainable and durable Mm. totally and by supporting that we're supporting the research and development that can be transferred into other um, uses maybe like this wine thing absolutely and we get further down that path then we can start using byproducts from all over the place like Mm. whether like maybe the wheat absolutely um, wheat straw Mm. or something can be turned into like our relationship to what we view as a product a feasible product just changes well there's also that quote i don't remember who said it but that just waste is a design flaw Mm. like it shouldn't be there we've produced something so shortly there is a use for it somewhere in terms of h&m though like i will not be buying wine leather yes. from H&M yeah. because of what I've said about the importance of intersectional shopping. Absolutely. I guess you could call it their garment workers are not treated well. They're in this perpetually producing fast fashion system that is inherently unsustainable. Mm. So I won't be supporting that. However, 
millions of people shop at H&M every day. And if they're already shopping there, yes, this is a positive step in the right direction. Their impact will be being reduced as compared to what it was already. I think there's a difference between, you know, actively joining in on supporting that brand, whereas there are people that already are there. Yeah, Mm. that's a really wonderful point. It may as well. You know, when you improved, like we mentioned earlier, the documentary, The True Cost, when you see that footage of people essentially climbing on top of each other to get in for these Mm, sales. Black Friday kind of thing. Oh my gosh, terrifying, but really spooky. Yeah. Um, Knowing that the product that they are pining for um, is something that is slightly more or like quite a bit more sustainable than not a dead animal and not a dead animal than like power to them. I mean, it is still flawed and it is still something that I do. I, I, I also won't particularly engage in, but yeah. And it's progress. I don't think bashing someone, not someone, a business for making a step forward is beneficial. I think it's critical that we say, let's not forget the other issues Mm -hmm. involved, Mm. but not to just throw out the whole thing. Totally. On on this idea of or on the topic of sustainability, another aspect of um, clothing that we haven't spoken about, and I think if I if I've got my uh, facts right, my, I probably don't. But <laughs> the, the the actual after purchasing a um, piece of clothing, a large part of the has a um, huge impact. Yeah. So how often you wash it, how often yeah. you use it, and yeah. um, that actually has a massive impact on its water usage. It's um, pollution based on the laundry materials you use mm. energy use to, yeah. to and microfiber pollution yeah from so synthetics do you have any what, what what's that all about <laughs> <laughs> what's that all about <laughs> uh yes so i think um a people often think synthetic leather results in microfibers but it doesn't really work like that because it doesn't pull apart that way but if you're looking at wool as compared to an acrylic knit jumper, Mm. the acrylic jumper is going to shed hundreds of thousands of tiny little pieces of plastic that when it's in the washing machine will go into the ocean and just make a big old mess. Um, And that's really bad. But I think that fact is used to make it like there's this dichotomy and these are your two options, but there's sustainably sourced cotton there's recycled cotton there's hemp blends there's bamboo there's tensile there are other options that are both not animal and not synthetic Mm. i definitely am not an advocating for synthetics person but then there's also recycled synthetics like what do we do with all of this Mm. wasted synthetic material that we've already made people are recycling it and then saying wash it but wash it in a guppy friend bag that helps to capture those microfibers Mm. it's really complicated and i think brands do have a responsibility to not yeah they don't give up their responsibility to do the right thing when their piece of clothing is out the door their care tags should have more information on Mm -hmm. like how to wash this sustainably you don't actually need to wash your clothes as much as people say like underwear yes give them a wash but some things are not to be washed after you wear them one time for a meeting. Mm. Well, that's the thing. We need to change our relationship to how we, you know, wear these clothes, yeah. so mm. to speak, and, like, mm. how we see them in our wardrobe and how we how we want them to continue in our lives. Mm. And there's a big thing with circularity as well. Like, mm. instead of – people are – 
so this is coming back to businesses having a responsibility. If people are throwing away their clothes, if they had the option instead to go back in store and put their clothes back and then the business could make new clothes from that, Mm. that is a much more sustainable system because then it's a closed loop system so it can continue to exist instead of demanding more resources be used while more things are being thrown away. Like it sustains itself. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that is something that definitely should be worked on. Absolutely. Um, I I just had a thought then when I was thinking if I were listening to this as a baby vegan. um, Hi, baby vegans. Hi, baby vegans. (laughs) uh, Welcome. Um, We love you. I would potentially be feeling a little bit overwhelmed. And I think, you know, one thing that is is important to um, address is what – for all vegans, um, you know, for all people that, that are involved in, in this form of activism, there is an emotional dimension of it too. You know, this the, the, your interest in this stuff comes from your relationship to um, and the grief you feel about, about animals being killed. Um, and I find that is that can be much more um, inspiring isn't the right word, but, you know, when push comes to shove... That's uh, the drive. That's the drive. The drive is comes from a really deeply personal um, space. And I think... Like, people are not expected to... I know a lot about this because I've spent a lot of time learning about it. Yeah. And that's mm. why I also want to spend a lot of time sharing that. I didn't know any of this when I first went vegan. I Absolutely. had no idea what I was doing. I was... Actually, I continued wearing my leather shoes and stuff for a while because mm. I thought it was more sustainable. Mm. And then I was sitting with a cow that I rescued called Elira and she licked my boot and I went, oh, God, oh, this is yeah. terrible and that's done. I'm done with that now. Yeah, wow. Well. So people, yeah, I think so long as you're remembering why you're doing what you're doing and you, like, set your moral baseline and ask questions and decide what you're comfortable with, that's a great place Absolutely. to be. I think on a positive um end to this discussion can you tell us a little bit more about the animals that you've met in your direct action stuff because there are these gorgeous photos of emma with all of these beautiful goats and i think you did you foster baby goats or baby lambs oh gosh okay not at the same time (laughs) um well they're all the best i think they actually little plug they all live at liberation sanctuary Mm -hmm. and you can sponsor them all yay um (laughs) but they're yeah, I think they're the reason – well, not I think – they're the reason that I do it. Um, yeah. Willow and Claude are two sheep that I fostered and they live at the sanctuary and I visit them all the time. My business is called Willow Creative Co. It's named after that sheep. Yeah. Um, yeah, they deserve it. Yeah, mm. absolutely, absolutely. Um, for those listening at home, we are speaking today with Emma Harkinson who can be found on Instagram at Hakame, H-A-K-A-M-M-E, and there are all of her plugs to her business endeavours, to a lot of incredible um, eco and vegan resources. Um, so much information on that on that Instagram. You, you cannot possibly follow that and not... Um, if you if you do still consume animals and not um, take a good hard look at yourself, which is wonderful. Um also, we were reading the paper before, and on page 21 of the Sunday Age, um, 
what was her name again? Gosh, I I didn't write it down, but she is. I don't remember. That's the creator of the Copenhagen Fashion Summit. Yes, that works with Global Fashion Agenda. And she's speaking at VAMP. Um, yes, this year. So she's in town at the moment to be discussing, I guess, the the rise of eco fashion and the importance of sustainability. And I wish I knew her name because now we're just talking about her in such an abstract way. But um, do check out those sort of. Um, panels that are that are floating around this conversation is being had um global fashion agenda is huge on circularity that we were talking about before yeah absolutely um yeah and we will be uh, (laughs) guess we're gonna be tapping out now so tune in (laughs) tune in next sunday between one or two um on 855 am thank you so much for listening and just a uh quick Quick um, plug for the vegan shop, The Kind Butcher, recently yeah. opened in Ascot Vale in Melbourne. Yes. And the first vegan butcher in Victoria. Of Very its kind. Yes. yes. That was a little pun. Sorry, everyone. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.